Hey guys, this week on Next in Marketing, I spoke to Scott Brinker, Vice President of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, who also runs ChiefMartech.com. Scott is one of the leading experts in the MarTech space, which he believes is seeing far more innovation and action than ad tech right now, despite all the hype in that sector. Scott also broke down the winners and losers in a post-cookie world and talks about why it feels like it's taking so long for AI and machine learning to really show an impact in marketing. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppsFlyer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Next in Marketing. My guest this week is Scott Brinker. He's the VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, and he's also the editor of ChiefMartech.com. Welcome, Scott. How are you? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for being here. I feel like you're. I feel like you're the person, the perfect person to talk to of all things Martech, and it's a good time to do that because there's so much interesting stuff going on in the industry and things are changing. I want to ask you this. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but it, it struck me the other day. There, there's been so much ad tech was written off or looked like it was just not going to have a good future in the public markets and not a lot of investment. And there's been, and at one point it was like, MarTech is where it's at. I remember that uh, the Loomiscape was like, there was a lot more spotlight on MarTech a couple of years ago. Now it's really shifted. I don't know if this is fair, but it feels like, you know, the action and the excitement and exuberance is back with ad tech in a big way. MarTech seems quieter. I don't know if that's because all the big deals have happened. The funding was, is there and running or if something's going on, what, what, what how would you assess those two worlds and the directions they're going in? Yeah, wow. So this is a great question to like, yeah, let's dive Whoa. right in with I know, it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, both the worlds of ad tech and martech, uh, two things are true. One, they're just enormous uh, in scale. You know, I mean, ad tech in some ways, it's a little easier to quantify because, you know, we talk about like, you know, the gross amount of advertising dollars spent, you know, and there's, there's, there's mechanisms for measuring that. Martech in many ways, my opinion is, is an order of magnitude larger in the actual, you know, like money that's spent and invested in it, you know, but it's a very different way in which money is being spent, right? A lot of this is infrastructure. A lot of this is, you know, tool subscription. It's the capability building, you know, the teams that run this stuff. And so from my perspective, actually, both of those worlds are continuing to grow tremendously. Ad tech has certainly been in the news. Yeah, you know, the shift uh, around, uh, you know, third party cookies going away. In, in, theory at some point eventually any yeah. <laughs> some right. year Maybe. now yeah. <laughs> right. well, I just want, we're just going to um, write but, about 5,000 pieces up on that until the next uh, until 2023 when they change their minds again at least it keeps us busy <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> but yeah I in no way see a slowdown on the MarTech side I mean if anything I don't have the stats handy but you know the investment because uh, the folks over at Luma Partners who do uh, actual investment banking uh, in that sector for a living, like the amount of investment that's been made and the amount of M&A deals that have been made in the broader MarTech space, you know, has continued to grow. And then in my world, where I often track the number of like startups and new companies in the MarTech space, if you've ever seen that crazy landscape graphic of mine that the last one had like 8,000 different solutions on it, Part of why we haven't been able to come up with an update yet is because that universe has grown. It's like well over 10,000. I mean, just mm -hmm. the logistics of trying to put together a map you just uh, ran that out space of has become right. <laughs> crazy. Right, that can't be captured in one square, one piece of paper. But I, th I think what you, you said like is interesting. <laughs> yes, it's, it probably speaks to just by nature, because MarTech is such an investment that brands make for long periods of time, it's like renting real estate or something. 
it's made perhaps not less volatile. Whereas there's, even though maybe there's less money in ad tech, people want to capture the pieces of the media investment. It's it's about monetization and innovation. So there's there's wild swings. I don't know if, where there's less of that in, in, in that space. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's kind of interesting because when we think about advertising as a world, right? I mean, that's just such an iconic. Yeah, you know, you go back to um, you know, like the days of you know the Ogilvies and you know how this all. I mean, we just. As marketers, we have long been fascinated by advertising. It's such an incredible dimension of what marketing does. But the truth is, it always was just a slice it's a piece, you know, right. of what marketing does. And quite frankly, marketing scope throughout the rest of the organization, you know, in the digital world, where like, you know, now marketing is increasingly involved in thinking about, you know, customer experience. You've got digital products. How do we think about like product-led growth and marketing's participation in that? I mean, the, the the scale of things that are happening beyond just the advertising slice of it has only continued to grow. And all of these are technology-powered, uh, you know, capabilities. Yes. I want to come back to that point. But I, I want to slow down a little bit because I'm going, I, I, you're right, I'm driving right into the, the big picture here. But let's assume a, a good chunk of our audience knows HubSpot, but maybe not everybody does. T tell us about what your role in the company and where you fit in this landscape. Sure. So HubSpot is a CRM platform. We provide solutions you know, for marketing, sales, service, CMS, ops. But what's really exciting to us is creating a platform that coherently fits all of those pieces together. And uh, my role in the company, it's like a role that was like perfectly designed for me. You know, it's how does HubSpot work with all of the other MarTech and sales tech and other companies out there who have more specialized capabilities to allow them to integrate and plug into HubSpot so that, yeah, when customers want to integrate HubSpot with one of the other more specialized tools in their stack, they don't have to go into like, oh, well, how do I figure out this webhook? And am I going to like extract this data manually here and push it in there? You know, that we can work with those other vendors behind the scenes integrate them over APIs, you know, with our platform. And then for customers, it becomes a lot easier to say, oh, yes, I just want to connect these two. And right away, they start working out of the box. Right. So your your existence, the way you describe the number of, of specialists out there, speak, it leads me to my one was going to be my first questions was, and again, maybe this isn't fair, but I think there was a time when, you know, when, the, when the marketing clouds really emerged as, as vocal players in this, in this industry. Maybe this is my advertising skew. They, they often spoke of as we can do everything. You're going to have one great dashboard. You're going to sign up for one of these guys, have one great dashboard. All your needs will be met. You'll have your CRM, email management, advertising all in one place. You click buttons, move stuff around, and you'll be able to control everything like a, like a spaceship. It seems like that never happened. And is that, is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of the market? Why didn't that happen? Is there, was it ever realistic? Yeah, wow, this is a fantastic question. Um, so I think it's really actually important to distinguish segments in the market, you know, because when you're looking more in the SMB half of the market, actually, I would make the argument that products like HubSpot have done a tremendous job of in for a lot of companies, essentially giving them one tool that does almost everything they need. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because the scope, you know, of what businesses need at a certain scale when they have just, you know, their first marketer, their first small teams of marketers, you know. Um, you're not it's, talking it's, about the Unilevers of the world, right? You're talking about much Exactly. Right. right. But then if you look at the other end of the spectrum, and clearly Unilever is on the far end of the other end of the spectrum, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's this, you know, incredible heterogeneity of all these specialized capabilities. I mean, we could 
spend an hour just talking about what's happening in the data stack, you know, space and everything that rolls up under, you know, data lakes and data science and machine learning and how right. people are integrating all these different tools, you know? And so I think the vision for a company like HubSpot is to say, we should be able to serve both sides of that market. You know, if we're really starting with the principle of saying, let's have a coherent platform, you know, we didn't build HubSpot by acquiring a bunch of disparate pieces. We, you know, really built the entire solution from the ground up. For the smaller businesses that basically can get HubSpot and our collection of tools gives them everything they need at this stage of their business. Awesome, that's great. They can run with that. Uh, got a whole bunch of not just technologies, but, you know, things like the HubSpot Academy to like show them how to really use it well. But on the other end of the spectrum, yeah, as companies, you know, get larger and they have more specialization and they have, you know, more, you know, sophisticated tools and different aspects of their business, it's really our mission to say, okay, great, you know, HubSpot doesn't have to do it all. It shouldn't do it all. You know, what we want to make sure is the pieces of the stack that people are relying on HubSpot to do, that it integrates smoothly and openly with all of the other capabilities that they're building out in their larger stack. Right. And that's a fun space to be in. I, sure, I, I sure. love that part of the pool. Right. How would you assess, this is a, another big, broad one, but, you know, I think the pandemic, I feel like, you know, we, we've talked a million times about how it's accelerated trends and, but it also, I think it had the, it had the effect of exposing a lot of brands. Every brand was saying we are going toward a more data-driven world and we're going to, this industry is becoming much more technology-driven, but there was, I think, brands were all over the spectrum there in terms of how advanced they were, right? And the pandemic sort of revealed that. What have you found, you know, like how much of the, the marketing industry still has really has to race to catch up to be even in the neighborhood of that where we can kind of envision this industry becoming a much different discipline driven by data and technology? Yeah, well, I have to give tremendous credit to the marketing industry as a whole for how people responded under the pandemic. I mean, yes, we've we've been talking about digital transformation and the, you know, vision of, you know, how far we could go down that digital path for years. And you know, I mean, every, almost every company had a sort of timetable of like, okay, we'll do this piece this year, you know, this next piece is next year. And then when the pandemic hit and like, you know, basically it was digital or nothing, the speed by which so many companies were able to say, okay, well, what can we do? What can we actually do to move to an entirely digital, you know, set of engagements, you know, and again, depending on the nature of the business, in some cases that was entirely marketing led. In other cases, it was much more about like uh, marketing accelerating its collaboration with like sales teams and customer success teams and all these other folks who previously, you know, might have had in-person, you know, engagements or relationships with customers and now needed to be able to rely on digital tools, you know, to take over those engagements. So I think that in general, like the way in which people responded under really difficult circumstances was epic. That being said, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, like, okay, move fast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, now that hopefully we're collectively starting to get past the craziness of the past year and a half, I think it's a good time for companies to sort of step back a bit and think like, okay, we did move fast. We made a lot of things happen. Now let's sort of take a look and say like, as we make this a part of our internal operating system moving forward, what should we, you know, what was done quickly that we should now maybe step right. back, let's you reassess know, and everything. do a little bit more, you know, intentionally, you know, what's working great, we should keep doing more. You know, I think it's a great time to reflect what we learned from this past year and a half and then be a it's little- It's a take inventory bit, moment, yeah. Yeah, and then be strategic about what we're gonna do right. with this for the next two years. 
Can you explain a little bit more in depth what you mean by, I think you're talking about big traditional brands where in the past, if marketing was a thing that was in its own department and there were teams that never interacted with those folks who didn't have to do that much. And now that because their product became, it might've, it might've been the e-commerce site became the most important thing they're doing or the way they interact with customers was a digital tool or app that became the center of their business. They had to get the marketing folks involved way more. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, and certainly uh, like the segment of the universe that I'm most familiar with, you know, a huge portion of HubSpot's, uh, you know, customer base is B2B or, you know, mm -hmm. businesses that look a little bit like that in sort of a subscription format or B2 professionals or something like that. Again, these were businesses that always had a pretty strong sales relationship component to a lot of their sales or yeah. product led, you know, motion of how, uh, you know, like SaaS freemium upgrades worked or things like that. And, and in a lot of cases, marketing had had very distinct handoffs to those different groups, which was fine at a certain stage of how companies were evolving in this space, you know, but one of the things that the pandemic particularly did in the relationship between marketing and sales is now again, just so much of the sales interaction process had to happen through digital channels. And in many ways, literally because you couldn't go see people, like you couldn't go, you, you weren't. Yeah. I mean, couldn't go see people, couldn't frankly leave your house in right, <laughs> a right. number of places, you know? And so this really accelerated you know, for sales teams figuring out, okay, how do we do this sales experience, you know, through digital channels? And part of it was leveraging, you know, marketing's tools and expertise in digital experiences. The whole notion of what we mean by sales enablement, I think really leapfrogged forward, mm -hmm. you know, in this environment. And so, uh, you know, how do we line up the analytics? Like now that everything is happening in digital touch points, it's not just having, oh, these were marketing digital touch points and these were sales touch points. How do we connect the dots on those? In fact, there's a, there's a movement that's uh, you know been underway um, of revenue operations. Of there used to be marketing operations, sales operations, customer success operations, and while there are still specialists, people, and teams for those uh, domains, increasingly we're seeing you know companies adopt this revenue operations model hmm. where they're connecting those groups together so that. Yeah, we stopped looking at this as different stages, you know, very discrete stages of the customer journey. And we connect the dots on all of them. Like just a customer is interacting with us in all these digital touch points throughout their journey. You know, it's not just marketing or just sales or just customer right. support. So that that implies that there, there needs to be maybe one data pool for all those practices, not separate silos where you evaluate each individual. Maybe the sales team didn't even have as much data as they do now, now that so much of their output outreach is... On, on digital platforms. Exactly, like line up all the data. So just everything even aligns, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but for a lot of companies, right, that, that they didn't have that, like the reporting in sales and the reporting in marketing were just, you know, on different dimensions. Right. So yeah, get those universally aligned. But then exactly what you mentioned, what gets really exciting is, it's now about greater data sharing so that when those salespeople are having these interactions, they have access to a much broader view of, okay, well, what was the customer interested in? And, you know, and some of these other touch points they had with the company, you know, that marketing can use those sales interactions to help feed into, okay, what sort of campaigns do we run to continue to nurture people through their journey? The customer success side of this is, again, a huge one of, you know, I mean, we're getting more and more sophisticated about saying, you know, after we win the customer, 
really that's just the beginning of the relationship. Right. And how do we feed back the interactions that we see through customer service and customer support channels into understanding how we can better do customer marketing to grow and deepen that relationship over time? Right. Okay. We, we, we joked about this early on, but how would you grade, you know, I'm sure that every marketer is different. Every category is different. How would you grade the way the industry has handled the the three-pronged data challenge that they're all facing, which is go cookies are going away. Apple identifiers are really changing. That's already happening. And the regulation is making things harder and promises to get even tougher. How are marketers in general handling that? And what do we think is going to happen maybe over the next couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I'm probably on, uh, this might be a controversial perspective to have. I actually think marketers are well served by all of these. I feel like the relationship between a company and its customers, the slice of that that was defined by an advertising touch point or the slice of it that was defined by like, oh, you know, we're able to track when you open this exact email at this exact time. Don't get me wrong, a lot of value there, but it's still just a slice of the overall like picture. And quite frankly, for a lot of companies, it was the rest of the picture where there's been a lot of opportunity to mature and improve. You know, again, everyone, uh, you know, operates in a mode like we are, we are incentivized to do what works. So I think a lot of marketers seeing that like, hey, listen, we had a bunch of great tactics we used to use with these other channels, with these other kinds of data tracking capabilities that were an era, but now the, the era, we're coming to a new era. What are the new tools and tactics that are gonna be available to us and I think most marketers are in a position where like, there are more tools and tactics available to them that they haven't even begun to like tap into that I, I, I don't feel like we're being backed into a corner. I think we're actually like opening a door to like a whole new room. Interesting, because I think we often speak of it. And, and again, it's, it's maybe an advertising focused lens on a marketing one that it's a nightmare. It's like, a, how are we <laughs> gonna do business? How are we gonna target people? How are we gonna know anything without all these pieces? And you're, you're kind of saying maybe this is healthy that they'll be able to focus on better ways of tracking people and less getting, getting less hung up on the, the prospecting or the, the trying to grab, grab a user because he can. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example with GDPR because yeah, you, you mentioned that in the question. I think, right, that was one of the first steps in this direction yep. where all of a sudden like, okay, there's going to be some pretty strict compliance requirements of how we work with data, you know, with our uh, prospect and customer universe. Now, for a lot of marketers, right, that was that was a tough thing. First of all, it's like, okay, well, what are our tactics? Can we or can't we do? But even like, how do we put the systems in place to like track this data and make sure that we're compliant? But there were a couple silver linings to that. So one silver lining is like, well, I mean, at the end of the day, part of why GDPR even existed is because consumers kind of want to, you know, have yeah, a- Yeah, you, you kind of should want to make them happy, right, yeah. Right. And so, I mean, it turns out that actually giving customers what they want isn't isn't a bad strategy. But there was another level to it that I don't think marketers really appreciated until they got into it, which is for years, to just be honest, data quality and marketing kind of sucked, right? I yeah. mean, it was in this mode where we just collect all this, all this data and we knew the quality was variable but, but we're just quite frankly, amazed to have so much yeah it was like let's let's just try and make what we have it's so great to have be a data-driven industry all of a sudden yeah and you just made it up in numbers you know mm -hmm. like basically like well we're not sure which of these are good or not good so let's right. just blast all of them Probably okay them. yeah uh, right you know done but you know when we couldn't do that anymore with gdpr 
one of the things is that became the catalyst for putting in place, you know, much better data quality mechanisms, you know, for marketing. Now, what does this mean? Okay, yes, now we're actually better at when we have permission to target people, we've got more accurate data on them. But the other thing that I, I think people didn't expect, it was almost an afterthought, is, you know, there's this huge movement of, you know, what's happening with machine learning and AI, you know, to really be able to leverage a new generation of technology for how we target and engage customers. And the truth is these AI and machine learning algorithms, they're, they're not magical. At the end of the day, their effectiveness really comes down to the quality of data that you feed into them. And the data quality we would have fed into them like four years ago, would have you know it's garbage in you garbage would learn out, learn you know? about garbage for you if you're the ai and not going to really make make the brand's life any better exactly but now because we were kind of forced into you know like paying attention data quality actually now the data that we can feed into some of these machine learning algorithms has a lot more accuracy there's a, there's a lot more you know signal that's being fed into that so i don't know it's kind of one example of just feeling like yeah this is a painful transition but there's another side of, that we're going to get to on this. And I think the benefits of it are, are going to be a lot of surprising wins for people. Right. So it sounds like, you know, it's been an unexpectedly healthy for brands or forced them to sort of reassess all their, the way they did things and clean up their, their house a little bit in the MarTech landscape, as you, as you see it, was anybody, you know, again, in, in ad tech, you, you talk about, oh, this is really bad for retargeting companies or somebody that really lives and die by the cookie. Have there been parts of the Martex ecosystem that are really ill prepared for these these identity changes? And has that led to, you know, is this good for, you know, bad for DMPs and good for CMP or, or some, any trend like that that has really come out of this you've seen? Yeah. Well, actually, so a great example is a category that we sort of broadly call like, you know, data enhancement, these data marketplaces. There were all these vendors who had all this in-depth data, you know, that had been collected in a variety of fashions about, uh, you know, people and companies. Uh, and before GDPR, right, it was like just, you know, wide open territory. And are, are you want, talking uh, about yeah. like the axioms of the world or? The, or who... I mean, it, it, it's a it's a range, right? You know, there were, you know, the axioms, you know, there were the discover.orgs, there were, you know, I mean, right. like, you know, if you wanted leads from the, you know, great cloud universe out there, you could just pull them in on demand, you know? And so GDPR, like, right, you know, very quickly, it was like, okay, well, no, actually you can't just sell this data, you know, right. uh, around. What was interesting is that would have been very bad for a lot of those companies and what their original business models were because they collected all these leads. And now we, we were selling them and now we can't sell those leads. But it was fascinating to see how quickly so many of them adopted to things that actually were incredibly compliant and still super valuable. So one of the things like we realized is, okay, we can't sell you know this sort of private data about individuals. But as it turns out, there's an enormous amount of data about companies, not individuals. And all of this is actually like, yeah, perfectly valid, you know? And so some of these companies like, you know, now when I get a prospect who comes in, I might not be able to enrich a tremendous amount about them as an individual, but the amount I can uh, enrich about their company. And again, if you're in a market where like you're selling using like account-based marketing or things like this, oh my goodness, it's a treasure trove. Um, you know, there's all these other examples we see of, you know, sort of these, these behavioral engagements that people have and, you know, other marketplaces, you know, things like, you know, G2 crowd for like reviews of software or stuff like this, you know, that again, like you can't trigger things off of individuals, 
But when you start triggering at the account level of saying like, hey, company X is you know interested in solutions Y, oh my goodness, well, this is great. We've got a whole account-based marketing program and set of capabilities to respond to that. So again, that was a case where I looked at that category and a few years ago, I would have said, oh my goodness, they're in a lot of trouble. Right. And then you look at them today and the way they've adapted, you know, to the new environment. I mean, like Zoom Info, like when public, they're like just growing incredible. It's they they've found a path through this that in some ways is probably better than what they would have had had they just continued with, oh, well, this is the old model. We get leads, we sell leads. Yep. You know. Now that trend, that shift you're talking about, it sounds very specific to B2B. I wonder, because I think in the ad world, the, there's so much thinking around, we're going to have to accept, okay, this individual targeting thing is going to be much harder. We're going to have to accept some kind of broad behavioral targeting thing that feels, maybe it feels like it's 10 years ago. Maybe it's going to be better. This cohort idea that Google's pushing others. Are you seeing brands get comfortable with that, wrap their heads around what that world looks like? Is that sound like a letdown going forward? Well, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what mechanisms actually come out, win out here over the next two years. Because yeah, as, as you point out, there's actually a lot of innovative ideas people are working with. It's not entirely clear which of them are gonna you know, win out, but I think it'll be a lot of interesting uh, things there. But again, this idea of saying like, okay, targeting you know, this way through like you know, behavioral tracking, yeah, it, it, it's been a great tactic, but if we look at the broader book of tactics we can deploy, I mean, there's so many other things. I mean, like one of the things, yeah, you know, I mean, like we've, we've seen a number of our customers, and this is kind of HubSpot's thing, like, right, we were founded on inbound marketing. This is actually still a huge channel for people to basically create the sort of content that consumers are looking for not sales content but like oh i've got a question about x and they search for x mm -hmm. and you've got the answer for them you're not trying to sell them something but you give them the answers to that and then you build a relationship people start to you know subscribe to things like your newsletters or your youtube channel or things like this there's so many ways we can build those relationships with an audience that's relevant to us that I think we shouldn't be narrowing ourselves to, you know, just what right. the ad tech targeting capabilities can be. It's, it's, it's a very wide buffet right. of possibilities. And, and what you're, what you're describing is bigger than what we've categorized as content marketing. I think to date where you're really like having a relationship with customers uh, at a time when first party data is really important. You're actually providing valuable information, not just trying to push out your message subtly, which I think is an interesting shift. Yeah, like one of our customers, Airstream, uh, you know, the folks who uh, make those awesome, like groovy campers that, you know, you attach your vehicles. Obviously, uh, it was a good time for them for like, sure. hey, this is the, the new way to go. But like they'd started to create all this content around like, how do you work effectively in small spaces? It's certainly relevant to their customers who are going to be working out of, you know, an Airstream. But actually now all of a sudden, you know, like for millions of people who suddenly found themselves working at home in like whatever closet space I could find, you know, in the house, I'm, this, this resonates very deeply with me. You know, like, you know, people were like searching for answers for this. And then Airstream had content of like, oh, had you thought about this? Here's a creative way you can do this and fit this. And I don't even have to be an Airstream customer. I don't have to go like necessarily be ready to buy one of those trailers myself. But it was like super interesting. But now mm -hmm. I'm actually I'm subscribed to this sort of stuff. And now, you know, Airstream can reach out to me. And then, yeah, you know, am I, uh, you know, a year or two from now, uh, be thinking like, huh, wow, you know, could we have an Airstream? Like, right, right. When they become a real, when they establish a real authority on a subject and they're helpful, that that leads to 
a different customer base down the road. It's, it's, it's less, way less transactional than most content marketing. Exactly. You know, and we can measure this. I mean, you know, again, it's, you know, one of the great things about ad tech of, you know, certainly was its measurability. Although there were, right, I mean, challenges of like, you know, the different steps and what to the untrained eye looks like, uh, oh, well, there's an ad and there's an advertiser. How, how many different pieces could be in the middle between that? But like we look at a lot of these other channels and again, because they're digital and in many cases, they're direct digital connections between the brand and then the audience, like the ability to instrument them and like, no, what's working? Who are we bringing in this? Do they stick with us? Do they unsubscribe? You know, how does that ultimately translate into people converting into being customers? I mean, we can instrument all of this and very much run a disciplined analytical marketing campaign around it. Okay. One of the other, the, one of the things that keeps coming out of all these conversations is to, and, and it was already important a couple of years ago, that, but the emphasis on first party data seems bigger than ever, which I think in MarTech would mean good, really good for the CDPs who were emphasizing that, um, their ability to, to produce a comprehensive view of a single customer, maybe, maybe ch more challenging for the, for the cloud guys. Can, can you, can you assess that category and that shift and where the CDPs fit or don't fit? where that's going. Yeah, well, I agree 100% with the emphasis on first party data, because I mean, there, there's so much we can do there. And for most companies, they're very early in their journey of, you know, mapping out the correct data and then actually operationalizing on it. I don't know that you need a CDP for this. Part of this is a little bit of, I don't know, you could look at a spectrum where on one end of the universe, you have things that are just quite frankly data lakes, you know, things like Snowflake or, you know, AWS systems that you see a lot of particularly larger businesses, all of the data, not just customer data, but all of the data, you know, is being unified into a single, you know, data lake where we can do all sorts of fascinating, you know, analytics and analysis on it. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got these operational systems, which is where really what I think of, you know, CRMs, these marketing clouds, where we have actually the first party touch of data with customers. And this is actually to where we, we tend to be operationalizing it. Like, okay, we're now running the campaigns out of this. Our sales org is working out of it. And then sort of in between those two ends of the spectrum is where I think you've seen these CDPs that they're like, oh, okay, well, in some ways it's almost a kind of a specialized data warehouse for marketers, you know, that they can collect data from many different things. They can do analysis on it. They can then feed that back into operational systems. And I think just depending on who you are as a company, what your needs are, how much of that you do in your CRM, how much of that you do in a data lake, how much you need a CDP in between them, it just varies. That's and, and hurt. everyone keeps like adding more and more functionality. So all the, you know, clouds right. and CRMs are expending. expending We're a CDP too. Of course we are. Yeah. We can, we can do a lake thing. You don't need our, uh, another company for that. You, you're, you see a lot of that in the space. Yeah. And, you know, and so again, I think for, for customers in the space, for marketers, my advice, having been doing this MarTech stuff for years is to not get carried away with the, the language and the terms and the acronyms, you know, but to really focus on use cases. Like, what are we trying to do? Like, what, what do we need to accomplish? You know, you know, what are we doing well today? What are we not able to do that we want to do? And if you get really clear about the use cases that you're wanting to do, then as you start evaluating vendor solutions, you know, it's not about the hype of who uses what acronyms. It's about like, okay, will this actually serve our needs? And then how much does it cost? And how easy is it to use? And all those sorts of questions that right. 
ultimately really matter in like, okay, how's this going to get operationalized? Right, right. So speaking of, the, of of what needs are out there and how they're being met, you mentioned early on you're, you're having trouble listing all the new companies coming into this world. There's so many, so much innovation happening. Where are you seeing it? Is it, are, is it particular clusters that are really popping? Is it, uh, what, where's the opportunity that, that's, that's causing all this, all these new startups to, to show up? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's, it's hard to find a quadrant in the MarTech universe that isn't going through this, but I'll, I'll give you a couple that, you know, have been particularly on fire. Um, like, so one of them, not surprising when the pandemic hit, we saw this incredible acceleration of like virtual events, you know, and virtual engagement sure. solutions. Somebody else, not me, somebody else actually did a map just of event software. And I want to say the number was like 800, 900 solutions just focused in that category. Now that can't, that can't last, can it? I mean, we're assuming life sort of goes back to normal-ish. <laughs> so yes and no. I think this is the thing. It's like uh, having looked at this crazy MarTech landscape for a decade, one of the things that's always fascinating is you've got two kinds of companies. You've got those companies that are really trying to consolidate to be the core platforms. And you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. The market only bears so many. There's only so many unicorns out there. I mean, yep. sometimes doesn't seem that way at the moment, but yeah, you know, the, the laws of economics, the heck, the laws of physics at some point come into right. play. So, you know, there will be a finite number of these folks at the head of the tail that are like the core platforms and leaders in a space. But the thing about software we've seen, and you know, I mean, you can take an example of like, I mean, even just like mobile devices and the millions of apps and, you know, the Apple App Store, or the Android Play Store, things like that. As you go down to that long tail, more and more specialized capabilities, frankly, that feels like this evergreen environment that, you know, uh, these, these companies aren't looking to become the next billion dollar unicorn. And now that we're starting to take this platform strategy more and more seriously in the MarTech industry, you have these people who create these really specialized things that do something, just this one thing really beautiful, and it plugs into those platforms, you know, that have become the stable, more stable foundation, you know, for a company's MarTech or AdTech stack. And I think this is one of the reasons why the total number of solutions in the MarTech industry, I, I suspect is actually going to be very rich and vibrant for a long time, but it's going to be a very skewed long tail distribution of, hey, there's, you know, the Salesforce, the Adobe, the HubSpot, the, or, you know, there's, there's a set of folks up there, you know, uh, but there's all these other innovators going down the long tail. I mean, WordPress, right? I mean, there's like something like 60,000 plugins available for WordPress, you know. Well, that, that's a good example because I was going to ask you, well, why doesn't Salesforce or whoever just eat all these guys you're talking about and just copy what they do or snatch them up and plug it in? But they don't, it's not worth their time or energy or focus, it sounds like. It, not only that, it's the fact that customers are not homogenous, you know? Right. In fact, every marketer, what is the number one thing, you know, like they, they, that keeps them up at night? It's very often like, how do we differentiate? How do yeah. we stand out from our competitors? How do we do things differently? So there's just, you know, depending on your industry and the stage you're at and the audience you're working with, there are all these specialized needs and opportunities and trying to have just one universal solution that does all of them perfectly, it just, yeah, it's it, it, it doesn't work that way. And so I think what you see the large companies, you know, I mean, certainly this is HubSpot strategy is to say, listen, we don't need to be the people to build 
all of these specialized use cases, you know, it'd be crazy to even try to do that. What we want to do is be that stable foundation, like that, the, 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 that provides the coherence and then really look to a platform ecosystem to let people be able to pull in those specialized needs that are really such a perfect fit for their individual business. It's a win for us. It's a win for the customer. It's a win for those, you know, like innovators who are out in the long tail, you know, plat platforms are a good thing. <laughs> right, right. Scott, you mentioned earlier, that, and of course we, of course we have to talk about uh, machine learning and AI at some point in this podcast, as we do in every conversation. You mentioned how, you, you know, it's good that some of this is happening now that we didn't have these systems running when data wasn't great. I Give me a sense, this is a broad question, but I, th I feel like when so often when I hear about how AI or machine learning are going to transform marketing, it's in the, it's through the lens of buying. It's going to, the machines are going to be able to automate like how you, we're going to target people better and buy faster, create ads quicker, or it's going to be, um, you know, we'll have much more personalized media experiences, those kind of things. I don't know if that's if that's really just a small piece of where you think how it's going to transform marketing. How should we think about it? And is it you know is it happening in small pockets, big ways? Yeah. So there's it, you're right. It, it is a very diverse landscape of use cases and AI technologies, and they're all at very different stages of maturity of how they've actually been adopted in marketing. You know, I think a couple of the ones that are pretty mature and really effective is, first of all, from a data analytics perspective, we're really putting machine learning to use very effectively there now to identify, you know, churn risk for particular customers, you know, to be able to do lead scoring, you know, to be able to like identify, you know, clusters that are the actual segments, you know, of customers, you know, not some sort of arbitrary persona we've created. Those technologies are really very mature now. We see they're a lot making of a difference in your business today, like that. Exactly. In fact, actually, they're making they they've become so mature that now even a lot of marketers don't even consciously think about it. It's just like, well, of course, yeah, we're looking at the churn report. These are the ones who are at risk. You know, um, another place where we've seen a lot of maturity is in the use of AI in creative tools. And part of this even gets us into discussion around uh, you know the no code movement, which to me is very broadly about letting non-experts, letting general business users or general marketers all of a sudden be able to like, whether it's, you know, creating an image or a video. I mean, you talk about using something like the script to like edit a podcast. I'm not an audio video engineer, but man, using the script, I, I can be like a real pro. And that's a lot of actual AI in the script that makes that possible. And so we don't even think about that as AI, but marketers have adopted these tools and has dramatically accelerated what they're able to create and the speed at which they create it. So those things are all very strong. I think if I were to think about places where AI probably hasn't yet lived up to the promise is, you know, we talked for a long time, AI was like, oh, well, it will be the perfect message for each customer at each time. Yep. And the truth is, I think the AI is ready for that in the sense that it's able to, you know, through machine learning, like identify, like, you know, who are the different segments, you know, and then in theory, what could we pull from in a universe of content or offers to match them? I think the challenges for most marketers is this idea of not just creating linear content or linear campaigns or linear offers, but creating a universe of pieces of content and offers that we're then able to, you know, trust the algorithm, you know, to assemble dynamic journeys for individuals. 
we just for uh, a lot of companies just haven't gone to the point where they just you, know, you move campaign by campaign in for most of your life that's harder that's a big shift for big organizations. it is a big shift and i think we'll get there you know this is an evolution of as much the skill set and the thinking you sure. know in marketing as it is anything else versus some of those other ways we adopted ai it actually didn't require us to change our behavior that much it sort of just sort of accelerated right. what we were already going to do right that's when things happen faster Scott, I want to, this is terrific. I want to wrap it on, on this. I want to make sure I ask you, tell me, just tell us the origin story of chiefmartech.com. Why, what are you doing there? Why are you doing that? It seems like a passion project for you. What gets you excited about that and where's it going? Yeah, entirely a passion project. Uh, so I started out life as a software engineer and an entrepreneur, very quickly found myself in a position where I was creating software for marketers. And I just got fascinated by the universe of software and IT was on almost the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you know, from the marketing world. Yet you saw how these things were coming together. And yeah, I got, I just got fascinated by that. And, you know, a lot of the discussion in my world has been around, you know, all the different tools and technologies and stacks. To be honest, I don't think that's the most interesting thing. The most interesting thing is how this has changed the composition of who works in marketing. I mean, yeah. these people you have in marketing operations and these marketing technologists and you know, these very technically savvy people who are now a part of the marketing team. It's not some other team that marketing has to go and beg to. Right. Like they've got their own technical resources now. That universe and that audience has just fascinated me. And like, yeah, 10 years ago, I was like, people would scratch their head like, wait, what? Marketing technologist? Is that an oxymoron? Right. It'd be un unrecognizable if you walked into Procter, <laughs> Procter & Gamble in 1997 versus now or something like that. Yeah. And now these companies, they have like VPs who like, this is their mission is like, how do we empower the marketing team with technology? So yeah, the origin story was in those two universes coming together. And as exciting as this past 10 years has been with this, I kind of recognize that, wow, that was really the early adopter stage. What's going to happen in this next 10 years? Man, it, it's going to transform the industry of how we think about marketing. Right. And you're going to, well, you're going to have lots of fun stuff to, to talk about and read and write about. So, so best, best of luck to you. But Scott, it's a terrific conversation. Thanks for, for taking the time out to take us through all these different parts of your life and business and great, great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. A big thanks to my guest this week, Scott Brinker, Vice President of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.